0: Okay, let's,
1: let's go through this uh, briefly, shall we? Um, because our aim is to finish around quarter past eleven. It would be dead easy for me to have missed this one out. Um, we could have said, let's just have a brief thought for today, and we could have kindly and quickly got rid of chapter two and just gone on to chapter three next week, which is a lot nicer. Um, but that would be wrong, because all of Scripture... Can we have the PowerPoint up, Alan, please? All of Scripture is there for us, and we, we can't just not do the bits that seem a bit difficult. Um, we're just finishing, I, I might have said this last week, our performance management round at, at work, so we do it in the financial year. And uh, I have to do um, 360s, so that means that people, uh, neither of those are working, which is great. Can we put one of the things in, Alan, or else that's going to cause problems? Um, and in the 360, so the people that are above me, uh, well... HMCI and the people that I line manage have to write down what they think about me um, anonymously um, you can imagine they have great fun uh, and one of the things they often say about me in my 360 feedback is that Andrew is very straight talking you know exactly where you stand um, and uh, well, you can have a little go for that for me and uh, which is important and I think Peter's been that like that here now Oh, okay. Okay, use that one. Brilliant. Um, So that's why he's written all of these things. And it's almost that he wrote in the beginning of the chapter, if you were here last week, he starts off by saying, don't forget the grace um, and the compassion of Christ in the fact that he died for you. Remember that you're going off to heaven. Eventually Christ has got a place for you in heaven. And that's why you've got to keep going on. Oh, it's working perfectly. And Paul, Peter sorry, is really doing the same thing here. But he's doing it from a slightly different angle. So he's sort of said to them in the first chapter of his letter, or the first bit of his his letter, don't forget the grace of Christ. Don't forget that you've been saved. Keep going, make every effort. And actually, if you want to remain as an effective Christian, do you remember he wrote that in chapter 1 when we read it? If you want to remain an effective Christian, you've got to keep moving on. But here, he actually gives you the, sort of the, the bad side of it all. This is what happens, this is what is happening, and this is what's going to drag you down if you're not careful. So it is very straight talking. Uh, but it is Peter warning these Christians who are growing that they must be very aware of the false prophets. And it's quite d- interesting when you start to read those, the, the references to the false prophets, both in uh, Peter chapter 2, uh, but also elsewhere. Because there's some, there's some one uh, thinking here, are these people, because in 2 Peter we read this phrase, from the Sovereign Lord who bought them. Now we often hear that language elsewhere in the Bible. Jesus, we were bought at the price of Jesus dying for us. Um, Jesus paid a ransom for us. So there's this, this picture in the Bible that we have been bought by Jesus and the cost for Jesus was dying on the cross for us. And some people say, well actually this was people that had given their life to Christ, they have been bought by Christ, but actually these false prophets had gone so far away from that that they'd lost any sign of faith. Some people think that actually these false prophets, and that's another phrase that's used in 2 Peter, it's about that they started to understand, they started to know about the life of following God. And they started to really do some of that. But deep down inside, they weren't actually given their life to Christ. It's always a danger, isn't it? Because sometimes people can come to church and they can see what other Christians are doing, and they start to do some of that themselves. Amen. But actually deep down inside, they don't, haven't actually given their life to Christ. Well, whether or not they were fully Christian in the sense that they'd given their life to Christ, or whether they just started to copy the, the life of other Christians, we know that these false prophets were going around doing some horrible things and saying some horrible things. And Peter actually says, these people are springs without water, a bit like a mirage. And that is actually up there, at that picture it isn't, you can't see, it looks like you can see water, but it isn't water. And apparently that's because the light bends to move through warmer, less dense air. And it gives you this this view that you think you can see water when there isn't. And Peter says, this is what a bit like these false prophets are. They are springs, but they are not. They don't provide water. And then he starts to tell us what they actually do. So he says in verse 1, they introduce destructive heresies. So they've got beliefs that are not true to what um, Christians should believe. Their actual behaviour, Peter describes as depraved conduct. And throughout chapter 2, you get a sense that a lot of what they were doing was, was around their sexual behaviour. We, we read about lustful desires and sexual sins. So these were people that were with the group of Christians that Peter was, re- was writing to, but actually were telling people, were using things, saying things that were totally contradictory to the good news of Jesus. And they were living lives that were totally contradictory to the way that Christians should live. And they were there. And they were pulling people into their circles. Pulling Christians who were trying to grow into their circles, but who exactly were, and I think it's really interesting that Peter uses these two phrases, because these two two types of people are the people that they almost clung on to. He says they seduce the unstable. So those that haven't really, in a sense, Feel stable about those, their faith. Those people that may have been going through some questions or some queries or weren't sure about things. That's the people that these people used to get hold of. And they enticed the people who are just escaping from those who live in error. Now, when I read those two, two um, phrases, I, I, and you might see that on the side there, I sort of get this picture that they were getting alongside people that for some reason might have started doubting things. That they were a little bit unstable in their own thinking around the Christian faith or in their own lives because of things that were going on. Perhaps something bad had happened to them and they were questioning actually what their Christian faith was all about. What a perfect opportunity for somebody to pull them away from the the, the gospel of Jesus. And for those people who are, as Peter describes it, who are just escaping from those who live in error, it sort of gives me a bit of a sense that these were Christians, early Christians that had permitted their lives, that were very young in the faith, but they'd probably come from a very different lifestyle before, and they were trying very, very hard to change the way they lived. And these false prophets thought, actually, do you know what? They got alongside them. They told them some things that weren't true. They were behaving in a way that was sexually immoral and they encouraged these people to join them. It's those sorts of people that I think these false prophets actually really targeted. And sometimes in churches we need to be really mindful of those people that are going through a difficult time in their life. For those people that are new to the faith. For those people that have come from something that's very different from the life that Jesus wants to live them because they are open to attack from those that Satan uses um, to distract them away from Jesus. And some of this stuff is really tough, isn't it? Uh, When I started teaching back in 1987, which seems a very long time ago now, that's because it is a long time ago, isn't it really, 1987? 1987? In my first year, we had a letter from... I was teaching in Hertfordshire. In my first year, we had a letter from Hertfordshire County Council telling us that corporal punishment had now been banned. In 1987, so before 1987, you could still whack someone over the backside. Um, And I remember going to visit the school where my mum worked to see whether or not I wanted to do teaching. And the uh, year six teacher there, that's the end of the junior school, um, took one child aside and got his... His, uh, I think it was his slipper or something and whacked this child. Um, so it wasn't until 1987 that we stopped corporal punishment and in the letter from St. Ha- Hertfordshire County Council they, they described all the things that might purport to be in capital punishment like throwing your board rubber. These were in the days when we had blackboards. Um, I tell you what, if you threw your blackboard rubber and you got that on the head that would hurt or pieces of chalk or all sorts of things. Um, So we don't have any of that these days. Uh, uh, We just have children that don't always behave themselves. Um, But it feels a bit uncomfortable to talk about God as a God of punishment. But actually our Bible makes it very, very, very clear that God is a God of justice and he punishes those who don't turn to him. And we get three and we could go into all of these three in great detail, which we're not, we haven't got time to. But he goes into three really clear examples. He talks about the angels who sinned and went to hell. And in fact, what he says is it's the lowest of the lowest of the lowest bits of hell. He talks about those in time of Noah that he didn't spare. And he talks about the condemned cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and burning them to ashes. Now, our God of love is also a God of justice. And sometimes we feel that we can't say things like that, but it is so, so clear in the Bible that one day we will stand before him on the day of judgment and we we will be held to account. And there's a real danger, uh, even in today's church, where we want to be inclusive, that we leave this bit to one side. God is a God of justice, and we need to remember that. But then there's also a lovely expression that Peter uses in this part of his letter when he says, But so then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. I think that word rescue is lovely. You know, if we are going through a period of our life when we feel that actually we're not as stable as we were at at a time before in in our Christian lives, if we're escaping from something that we've, that's entangled us, then God knows, God knows how to rescue us. What a lovely thought that Peter leaves us with. So here we are, four things that I just want to finish off with. Um, remember God is a God of justice. Uh, we spend a long time befriending people and rightly so. We spend a lot of time telling people that God is a God of grace God is a God of love and compassion. He forgives us. But He doesn't just keep forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness. There will come a day when it's a day of judgment. And we need to remember that as well as ourselves. Let's make sure that we ourselves aren't seduced, as Peter explains, to anything that isn't right for us as Christians. And we do that. I think, by what Peter told us to do in chapter 1, by making every effort. What he says later on in in chapter 3, being on our guard, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We do all of those things to stop ourselves being vulnerable to being seduced. And what we need to do is be aware of others in our church family who may be in danger of that so that we can and we thought about this last week we can be kind and we can love do you remember in that list of things that Peter wrote uh, in the middle of chapter 1 he said if you want to keep making every effort then these are the things that you've got to do and then the last two things he mentioned he talked about kindness and we talked about brotherly love do you remember we talked about that being the love of brothers and sisters or the love of believers That's what we've got to do with each other. So that if any of us at any time feel unstable in our faith or escaping from something that isn't good for us, then we know that we've got the support and the kindness and the love of our brothers and sisters. And let's let's never forget that God is our rescuer. I said to James, I I only sort of um, realised this as I was thinking about this yesterday Uh, because we could have sung that lovely song that we've just started to learn here at church um, but it was too late to tell James Um, but do you remember that song he's our rescuer it says this he's our rescuer he's our rescuer we are free from sin forevermore oh how sweet the sound oh how grace abounds we will praise the Lord our rescuer and then there is good news for the captive good news for the shamed there is good news for the one who walked away there is good news for the doubter, the one religion failed, for the Lord, the good Lord has come to seek and save. Amen. So it was a pretty grim it was a pretty grim passage to read. But it reminds us of the other side of God that we have to be very aware of. I, I used to love reading a little ladybird book uh, of the story of chicken licking I don't know if anybody else has read the story of Chicken Licking. Chicken Licken is a chicken who goes um, for a walk. And, it's a little children's book. And as he's going for a walk, an acorn falls on his head. And Chicken Licking thinks that the acorn falling on his head means that the sky is falling in. And so he goes around and tells everybody and he eventually gets to the king to tell them all that the sky is falling in and they must take, you know, urgent action. Um, and everybody realize, sort of sort of looks at Chicken Licken and thinking, actually, you're mad. Um, actually, all that's happened is that acorn has fallen on your head. We mustn't trivialise the justice of God. And I say that not just for the people that... Um, who don't know him I say that for ourselves Peter in this whole letter is urging us to make every effort because one day we will stand we will stand in front of our Lord and Saviour and be held to account and he will ask us whether we've made every effort let's pray shall we dear Heavenly Father we thank you for that letter of Peter it's been hard to read that second chapter um, We've read about some, some very wicked behaviour uh, from people who we, we don't understand whether they knew you, Jesus, or whether they were just getting to know you. But whatever they were doing, they were turning people away from you. And Lord, we just pray that we ourselves may never be turned away from you, either by a person or by something that's on the television or something that happens to us when we don't feel stable in our relationship with you, when we feel that we've got caught up in something that isn't good for us and we're trying to escape it, help us to remember your grace and your compassion. Help us to remember that you are a God of justice. And help us to see you as our rescuer. We call out to you and we pray for any in our church family, Lord, that need to call out to you because they need you at this time, especially as their rescuer. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.